Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Amen. Will all creatures of our God and King join together to praise and glorify His name. And we have the great privilege of joining together with them this morning as we worship our God and our King. I'd ask that you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This morning we're going to be considering God's creation of animals. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the beasts of the earth. And as we consider these things this morning, I want to take just a moment to appreciate some of the wonderful creatures that we can find inhabiting this world that God has made. And so it's always good to to consider the magnificent creatures that God has created. I I won't try to uh, do this in a David Attenborough accent. Nobody would like that. But uh, nonetheless, we can see here some pictures of God's creation. We see here first, this is an alpine swift. Uh, This is a bird that is capable of staying airborne. They've been recorded staying airborne for six months. They'll sleep while just soaring on the wind. They'll eat as they capture insects as they're flying around. They can stay airborne for six months, half the year. Next picture here you see beavers. Uh, You're familiar with these, but but if you can see on that picture, the, the beaver actually has kind of orange teeth. And it's not just because they really need to go to the dentist. It's because their teeth, in order to chew all that wood, is covered in an enamel that contains iron. So this beaver's teeth is actually, they're, they're a little rusty because there's iron in the enamel of their teeth. The next creature here, this is a, uh, not something out of some sci-fi horror movie. This is called a tardigrade. This is one of the smallest creatures on earth, but these things are remarkable. They're, they're able to survive on the ocean floor in the deepest depths of the ocean. They're able to survive on top of Mount Everest. And scientists, I don't know how they've found this or discovered this, but, but these creatures are able even to survive in space. So they are tough critters. The, the next one here, this is a peacock mantis shrimp. Um, it's like we didn't know what to call it, so we just took like three other creatures and smashed their names together. But, but this creature is able to punch its prey or a predator with a force of 50 miles per hour. This little tiny thing can, can generate a punch of up to 50 miles per hour. The next uh, creature here, this is an axolotl. These things are remarkable. They can regenerate their limbs. They can regenerate their heart they can regenerate their brain so they're basically indestructible you can cut part of their brain out and then they will grow it back it's remarkable next you can see a hippo here we'll get back to the big creatures uh now hippos are are cool they they're they're big and fat and they look kind of lazy but don't be mistaken these things are dangerous as a matter of fact this hippo is capable of running up to 30 miles per hour. Most humans can maybe get up to about 7 or 8 miles per hour. So so this thing can chase you down 
And these things are responsible for over 500 deaths per year. So if you see a hippo, they're not cute, they're not lazy, they will outrun you and maul you to death. Compare that, by the way, to a lion. Most of us, if we see a lion, we know, we know to keep our distance, right? Those things are dangerous. But a lion is only responsible, or, or lions as a species, they're only responsible for about 22 human deaths a year. This thing, hippos are responsible for 500. Next, we can see here an owl. Owls are uh, capable of turning their heads 270 degrees. And they even have extra blood vessels in their neck so as they turn their head all the way around it's going to compress and cut off some of the blood flow they've got uh, ancillary blood vessels that can take up the slack and pump blood to their brain when they turn their head around that way next we see here a kangaroo kangaroos are pretty cool they can jump 27 feet from standing Uh, by comparison the the record for a standing long jump for a human being is about 12 feet and two and three quarter inches So, pretty remarkable here what they're able to do. Next, we see a a whale shark. This animal weighs about 25 tons. It has 4,000 teeth. But you don't have to worry. If you encounter one in the wild, it's not going to eat you because they grow to this size by eating only algae and plankton. They just swim around with their mouths open, kind of sucking up all the little things floating around in the water, And they grow to 25 tons. This next picture, this is just Boaz hanging out in my office. And he's cute, so I wanted to share that with you. But truly, our God is a God of wisdom and beauty and creativity. Today, as we examine the animals of His creation, we're going to see that God delights in fullness. God delights in diversity. And God delights in fruitfulness. Along the way, we're also going to consider very briefly today the question of evolution and whether or not it can account for all the fullness, diversity, and fruitfulness that we see in creation when we consider these animals. Let's begin, though, by reading our text together this morning. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me today as we read Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. There we read... And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's once again turn to the Lord in prayer today. Oh God, as we look at these creatures, as we consider everything from a teeny tiny tardigrade to 
an axolotl to a whale shark. Lord, we are forced to acknowledge, as you do here in your word, that these things are good. These things are remarkable. These things are worthy of our attention and study as we consider the beauty and diversity and fullness of all the life that you've placed on the earth. And so, Lord, I pray that as you delight in these things, that today as we consider your word, that we too would delight in them as well. That we would delight in the things that you delight in. That we would call good what you call good. And Lord, that from your creation of these things, we would also learn how it is that we are to relate to you. Lord, I pray that we would see the connection between what you have made here on days five and six of creation and what you expect from us as your people. Lord, that we would, if we realize that we are not in right standing with you today, that we would repent of our sins, that we would turn in faith and hope to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has come to give us the fullness of life. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen. Well, the first thing that we ought to pick up on when we read through these verses is that God delights in fullness. God delights in fullness. God wants the waters to swarm, or your translation may say team. He wants them to to be full of living things. God wants the skies to be full of birds. He wants the earth to be full of creatures from the largest elephants and hippos to the teeny tiniest tardigrades. He wants all of creation to be full. A teeming, swarming, full of life creation. In short, God enjoys life. And He wants life to inhabit every part of His creation so that we can find life in every part of His creation. On the ocean floors, on the coldest poles, in the hottest, driest deserts, there is life. He places life in all of it. Now this reveals a great deal to us about God's character and what He delights in and and how it is that we, His people, should expect to relate to Him. You see, God is not a curmudgeon. If you have any question about that, this removes all doubt. God is not sitting in some dark corner of His universe wanting to be left alone so that He can enjoy some peace and quiet. Right? You may have seen uh, the, the Marvel movies. Uh, if you have, you see in that a, a, a great picture of an anti-God. In the Marvel movies, the villain is Thanos. And what does Thanos want to do? He wants to eradicate half the life in the universe so that he can go to some uninhabited planet and sit and watch the sunset in peace. That could not be further from the picture of God, yet that's what I think some people think of God. He just wants to be left alone in peace and quiet. That's an idea that's pervaded mankind's thoughts about God for a long time. When you look at the other creation myths, which we've done along the way, when you look at the Babylonian myths and the Egyptian myths and and the Greek myths, in all of these myths, the gods actually are annoyed by their creation, are annoyed by humans and the noise that they make, and so they punish them and make their life hard because they want to be left alone. 
But our God is nothing like that. He is a riotous, uproarious, loud, joyful God. He loves to be surrounded by a cacophony of animal noises throughout His creation. His creation is not meant to be silent. It's meant to be loud, joyful, and full. And so He places all these animals in the midst of it. That's why I find it funny that sometimes we try to turn our churches into stuffy, somber museums. We want absolute peace and quiet to not be disturbed. But when we look at creation, that's not the picture that we see of God at all. I want this church to be a church that's teeming with life. Just like we see here the creation of Genesis 1. Now listen, I want my children to be respectful while they're at church. Absolutely, I want them to be conscientious of other people. But if they get carried away, if they run and they laugh, so what? I want to hear children noises in the sanctuary. I want to hear babies crying in the sanctuary. Not because the babies are hurt, but just because that's what babies do. Right? We want to hear children noises. We want to hear life. We shouldn't make young mothers feel conscientious if their kids break our sacred silence. Crying, laughing, sprinting to the bathroom. These are signs of life and vitality. And we should embrace them. We should want them. Do you think God was looking stern-faced at the elephant the first time it trumpeted? Like, why are you doing that? No, that's what God made it to do. He made the elephants to trumpet. He made the lions to roar, the whales to breach the ocean waves. This is a delightful, active, full creation. He delights in the fullness. And what's remarkable is that when we look at what this means for us, We see that the same is true, not just in the broader context of creation, but in our own individual lives as well. Jesus tells us that his mission was for us to have full and abundant life. He tells us in John 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. He has come so that as new creations in Him, we might have that full and abundant life. He doesn't want us to have a stodgy, dull, boring, quiet life. Jesus has saved you for something remarkable. He has saved you to enjoy the vitality of the world that He has made for us. We see what this looks like, at least a small glimpse of it. In Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. A man who's been crippled. And they come and he's asking for money. He wants money, but they give him something else instead. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts 3, 6-10. through 10. It says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder 
and amazement at what had happened to him. This is what happens when a person becomes a new creation in Jesus Christ. Or at least this is what he has for us. And yet I think sometimes if somebody were to walk into our sanctuary walking and leaping and praising God, we might look at them with a stern face and tell them to settle down. But when this man becomes a new creation, when he is changed in the name of Jesus Christ, he can't help but walk and leap and praise God. And all the people who witness it, they are amazed. They wonder. They too then see and sense that this man is enjoying the fullness of life through Jesus Christ. When he's healed, he becomes a new creation. And so, as a new creation, he walks, he leaps, he praises God, he lives in the fullness that God has for him. I bet his response probably wasn't that much different from that of the first dolphins or the first horses. When they first opened their eyes in God's good creation, I bet they too went walking and leaping and praising God in the world that He had made. Because God delights in fullness in His creation and in the lives of His people. The same thing that we see in the world of Genesis 1 is the same thing that God wants for us in our lives when we become new creations. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, He sent Jesus to come and to make that possible for us so that our lives could be full, so that we could have abundant life through him, so that we could have a Genesis 1 kind of life. But our God is also remarkable in that he doesn't just fill his creation with one kind of thing. You see, as we've already seen, there's all kinds of creatures. I just picked a a random sampling of of ten different creatures, actually, I, I think I, I googled remarkable creatures, and that was from a magazine article. There's, I think, 25 more of them, just like that, with just remarkable facts about some of these animals. But we also see in that God delights in diversity. God delights in diversity. Look at the different ways these animals are described in just these six verses we read. We're told that that He creates every creature that swarms, birds, sea creatures, every living creature that moves, every winged bird, creatures, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth. All creatures of our God and King. All these remarkable categories of animals that includes every living thing. The distinction is given after each one of these statements that He creates these things after its kind. And that's an important phrase. It's one that we're going to to come back and we're going to see repeated in Genesis. It's one we're going to talk about more. But this is an important phrase because it indicates that God has a system of classifications for each of these animals. Birds after their kinds. Fish after their kinds. It means that within each of these animal kinds, as God creates them, He is filling these animal kinds with DNA, with genetic codes that would allow for an explosion of diversity. As we look at this, we we can put it another way. For example, I don't think that there were necessarily chihuahuas on day six of creation here. But God did create a dog kind that within its genes... 
It had the ability to branch out into all the different kinds of dogs that we see today. There's still being new, new breeds of dogs created. I showed you, showed you a picture of, of our dog, Boaz. Whenever people ask me what kind of dog he is, I tell them he's a fancy mutt. He, he, he's, he's like one part this and one part this. And you know, I'm sure, thank you, Philip, there we go. Um, he, he, he's a fancy mutt. And that's what most dogs are today. And if, they're, if those breeds stick around long enough, eventually they'll get registered as a new breed and then they can compete in the kennel clubs and all those things. And, but all of those breeds at one point, they didn't exist. You can look at their histories. They, they've come into existence, some of them quite recently. Because when God created dogs after their kinds, He put in those dogs the possibility for all the different breeds that we see today. If Jesus doesn't come back for another hundred years, there's probably going to be more dog breeds. Some of them are getting kind of weird. We may need to stop with it because some of them, you know, they, they get kind of weird and ugly the more you go. But nonetheless, if you keep going, you find there's still more room for more diversity. And all of that goes back here to the garden. To God's good creation. God has ordered His creation so that it would be full of beauty and diversity. And similar to how the fullness of creation has a direct implication for our lives, so too does this reality of diversity. You see, if God's initial creation was so magnificently diverse with all of these different kinds of sea creatures and birds and animals and beasts of the field, then so too should our lives be. If encoded in the original DNA of the dogs that he created was the possibilities that ranged from a St. Bernard to a Chihuahua, then so too was it encoded in Adam and Eve's DNA for people to be red and yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight. As Christians then, just as we celebrate, as we've done already today, the beauty and majesty of peacocks and humpback whales and peacock mantis shrimp and whatever else we might see. We too should praise God for the beauty and majesty of people with all different kinds of melanin and hair textures and so on. In short, there is no place for bigotry or racism in the life of a Christian. In fact, it's only Christianity. It's only Christianity that provides the worldview that forbids such evils. If it is true, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but, but if it is true that evolution can account for our differences, which I don't believe to be the case, but if that was the worldview that we embraced, then we would have no right, or we would have the right, pardon me, to claim that some groups of people are more highly evolved than others. It's the evolutionary mindset that promotes racism and racist ideas. That was the road that Hitler went down. Believing that certain groups of people were not as highly advanced, were not as worthy of life as others. But if, on the other hand, we affirm as believers that God made His creation rich and diverse from the very beginning then we should celebrate such diversity and not use it as the grounds for thinking less of other people. We must also abandon wrong-headed ideas like the idea, I think, that 
men and women with different levels of pigmentation in their skin ought not to marry. That idea too is rooted in the doctrine of racial superiority, not Scripture. Yes, we can look back and see that Israel was forbidden from intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. But why was that? It wasn't because they had darker or lighter skin. It was because those people were idolaters. They worshipped false gods. And God wanted to prevent them from participating in those people's idolatry. It's the same way we see this same principle in the New Testament where we as Christians are told to not be unequally yoked, but not with someone of a different skin color than us. We're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, with people who do not worship God. This has nothing to do with prohibiting marriage between people of different ethnic groups. The same genetic code that we have been celebrating this morning that allowed some populations to develop darker skin, some lighter, some curly hair, some straight, it was all present right here in the initial creation. It was all right there in Adam and Eve's DNA. And what's more is this diversity will not be eradicated when Christ returns. It will instead reach its full culmination. Because just as the original creation was rich with diversity, so too heaven will be rich with diversity. In Revelation chapter 5, when Jesus is praised for His mighty act of redemption, listen to what He is praised for. Listen to why Jesus is praised. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus has ransomed people, and He's brought them together into one kingdom, one family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether they're in Tanzania, or Nepal, or right here in Kentucky. Later in Revelation chapter 7, John once again sees this great multitude. He says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus died to ransom a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And He is praised in heaven for this comprehensive diverse salvation. So what a shame it would be if on this great day that we've just read about, we were exposed for all our unrighteous racism against the very nations that He died to save. If that is present in our lives, we need to repent of it. We need to acknowledge it and dig it out by its roots. So that it no longer has a foothold in our lives. So that there is no obstacle keeping us from viewing our brothers and sisters in Christ as just that. Brothers and sisters. At this point, we mentioned evolution just a moment ago. I want to come back and address this briefly today. We'll talk more about this as we go on through Genesis. 
But I want to talk about this regarding the animals because I believe this is an inevitable question that comes up when we discuss creation. Because for a long time, the scientific consensus has been that all life on earth developed very slowly over a long period of time through a process of natural selection and mutation. That lesser life forms evolved into greater life forms and so on. Can this idea be reconciled with what we've just read in Genesis chapter 1? Well, some have tried to do so, but I believe it is a wrong-headed attempt. In fact, as we look around us at the scientific consensus, what we're finding is that, that this seemingly monolithic idea that's embraced by all scientists, that it's actually crumbling beneath their feet. In recent years, there's been articles like this that's begun to appear. I've got a couple of screenshots here for you. This first one is... Nope, sorry. That's coming later. So maybe I, I didn't actually add this screenshot. Um, the first one is from a website called Evolution News. That's the name of the website, Evolution News. But this article tells us that over 1,000 scientists have publicly come out as very skeptical of the prevailing theory of evolution. Just last year, last summer, June of 22, there's another article that appeared in The Guardian, the British newspaper, explaining the history of growing skepticism around evolution. I want to read to you. I'm, I'm quoting this directly from this article. These are from scientists. These are from people that embrace evolution. But they're talking about disputes and the fact that these scientists can't come to an agreement. And they say this. These disputes over evolution had the weight of a theological schism. They embrace evolution in terms of a religion, in theological terms. It says, at stake were the forces governing all creation. For Darwinists especially, their theory was all or nothing. If another force, apart from natural selection, could also explain the differences we see between living things, Darwin wrote in The Origin of the Species, his whole theory of life would utterly break down. We need to get this. Darwin himself said if there was any other theory that could explain how we got here other than slow, gradual change over time, he said then his whole theory should be discarded. Darwin himself said that. And what we're finding is that slow, gradual change over time cannot possibly account for what we see in the world around us. The evidence thus far is not on the side of natural selection. So you have scientists who are not Christians coming out and saying, this idea doesn't work anymore. Let me give you just two quick examples of how this is playing out. One example is of the giraffe. Philip, you can show us that picture now. The, the giraffe's size and long neck create really some impossible difficulties for the evolutionist. I want to read to you about the giraffe from the Answers in Genesis website. It says, Evolutionists encounter a design dilemma for the evolution of a long neck. That six-foot neck requires an intricate blood vessel system to maintain proper blood pressure between the heart and brain. A giraffe bending its neck down to drink water is a marvelous display of design. The 25-pound heart that pumps blood way up the neck against gravity suddenly pumps down with gravity, 
which should cause the delicate brain to explode. But the blood vessels are uniquely designed with reinforced walls, bypass valves, a cushioning web, and sensory signals to moderate the pressure when the giraffe bends its neck down. The reverse of this intricate system happens when the giraffe raises its head up so that the pressure is regained and the giraffe doesn't pass out. In addition, the tight skin on giraffe legs has been compared to an astronaut's G-suit because it prevents high blood pressure from pressing blood out of the capillaries. There's a lot there, and I want to read to you all that directly because it raises so many important questions. You didn't know, probably, before today that a giraffe taking a drink of water was such a big deal. But when you've got a 25-pound heart that's having to pump blood up a 6-foot neck to a brain, and all of a sudden that brain goes from way up here to way down here, if that heart continues to pump that blood at the same degree of pressure, without any change, the giraffe's brain would explode. So Ken Ham writes in response to these facts, How many giraffes blew their brains to pieces when bending down? How many passed out as they lifted their heads, becoming food for the lions, until the special features somehow evolved? It's obvious that the very first giraffes had to have these special features right from the beginning. If not, they wouldn't have survived to pass it on to the offspring. And there's so many more examples like this. I want to show you just another quick picture because the young men are going to love this one. This is a fascinating animal. The bombardier beetle. Right? The bombardier beetle has two different nozzles on its rear end. And when it's confronted with a predator, it sprays two different chemicals out of each one of those nozzles that when they mix in the air, it creates a chemical reaction to create a burning, steaming gas at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the, that's the temperature of boiling water. Now, at what point was this creature able to evolve these two distinct systems without blowing itself to smithereens? Right? And how long did it take these systems to evolve before they were developed enough to be useful? And if they weren't useful initially, why would it evolve them? These are questions that the evolutionists just simply cannot answer. And it's why thousands of scientists are now saying, we need a better solution. This doesn't work anymore. Some of you gentlemen, if you get the nickname Bombardier Beetle, don't blame me. I'm just sharing the facts. We'll talk more about this as we go along. But I want us to see that, that this can't answer the diversity, the fullness of life, all the wonderful things that we see in God's creation. This is not a viable answer. Evolution is not a viable answer. There's one last thing that I want us to see, though, from this text very quickly this morning. And that is this. The same God who delights in fullness and diversity also delights in fruitfulness. He instructs these animals that he has just made to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with more animals after their kind. God wants to see more and more beautiful animals. He wants to see the outworking of this genetic structure filling the earth. So too, he desires to see more and more followers of Jesus come into his kingdom. He blesses the animals to enable their fruitfulness, but for us to be brought into His kingdom for us to multiply, He had to pay a higher price. 
He had to send His precious Son to die to pay the penalty for our sin. To give us the abundant life that He desired for us to have. We would not have it without our penalty for sin being paid, so He paid it. We are now called to embrace what Jesus did for us on the cross. To repent of our sins and to follow Him. And then to multiply, to go and tell others about the wonderful things that God has done for us. We are all called as Christians to be fruitful and to multiply. To share the good news of Jesus with other people. So that one day, heaven will be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. On that day, all of creation will celebrate the fruitfulness of Christ's mission. So that when that day comes, we are given this vision of heaven. Once more in Revelation chapter 5. There we read, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and glory and might forever and ever. We see the bookend to Genesis 1 in Revelation. All of these creatures that God has made are joining together. They have multiplied. They have filled the earth. And now all of these creatures are joining together to praise the God that made them. We'll get to be part of that. I look forward to that day. To seeing the the fulfilled vision of Genesis 1. As we are united together with our King in all of creation. With the peacock mantis shrimp and the tardigrade joining together to proclaim the goodness and majesty of God. God has made His creation to be one in which there's multiplication. And so His creatures will multiply. His children, believers, we too will multiply as we spread the good news of the gospel across the face of the earth, bringing more and more people to join together in this incredible song of praise to our Lord. Will we join in this mission? Will we go out and multiply? Will we live life to the fullest, the abundant life that Jesus has died to give us? Will we delight in the beauty and diversity of all that God has made? If you have not yet submitted your life to Christ, you can begin living that way today. You can experience the fullness of life that Christ has come to give you. You can experience the richness and the diversity and the beauty of all that He has purchased for you. I would encourage you as we close in a hymn, come and let me know that you are ready to experience that fullness of life today. And I'd love to share with you how that can be true of you. If you'd like to come and join yourself together with this church body so that we can celebrate these things together as a family, as God has called us to be, then I'd be happy to talk to you about that as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, for the fullness, the diversity, the richness, the multiplication that all comes in him. And Lord, as we conclude now, I pray that we would go out joyful, confident, confident in the world that you have made and the fact that no other answer can account for all the richness and fullness and diversity that we see and delighting. 
delighting as we walk out these doors and we hear the birds singing. We see the squirrels playing. We know, even though we cannot see them, that there's probably tiny little tardigrades flying around somewhere. Lord, all of these things should strike us with wonder and awe and amazement at you, the one who have made them all. Help us to not just be amazed, but help us to be transformed. Help us to be transformed by your grace and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.